Hello and welcome back to the Tez News Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Morris. Each week on this podcast, I'm joined by some of our fantastic news and analysis team here at Tez, as they share the stories they think should be in the spotlight that week. A little bit later in this episode, I'm joined by senior editor Gronja Hallahan, as she shares some tips for how schools can deal with the massive influx of staff expected next year. But first, the government is to scrap parts of its controversial schools bill after heavy criticism in the House of Lords. Now I'm joined by reporter John Roberts to discuss this story in more detail. John, welcome back to the podcast. Hi there. So now the parts of the bill that are being scrapped or amended are some of the the most controversial in that they gave the government a lot of power to regulate how academies operate, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it's it's... I guess it's quite an embarrassing thing for the government because essentially it's the heart of the bill. Um, they're putting forward something to give them oversight and powers to regulate multi-academy trusts. And they're doing this because they want to move to a system where all state schools are in multi-academy trusts. Um, but the drafting of the bill that they've put forward to, to do this has been has proved really controversial. And the reason is that um, it's really, really open-ended. So there's... Um, it talks about the fact that it wants to create new standards that multi-academy trusts will have to meet, but then it doesn't define what it thinks these standards should precisely be. It lists something like 20 areas um, and says these are examples of where we might set standards. And in, in its sort of um, totality, it would give the Department of Education and the government absolute control over almost every facet of school life, what's taught, length of the day, processes, careers, guidance, it really is a massively exhaustive list. And the House of Lords, including three former education secretaries or ministers, have kind of criticised this, described it as a power grab for Whitehall. And multi-academy trust leaders themselves were really voiced concern about it, that it, would, um, that it would kind of impact on their freedoms. Because the idea that underpinned academies at the start was that they would kind of be free from local authority control. And that it was kind of like a trusting school leaders to be kind of autonomous decision makers. Now, multi-academy trusts is a little bit different because quite often these, these are organisations that are run from the centre, so it's not necessarily school autonomy, but it's still a degree of organisational autonomy, if you like. These, and I think there's a, there's a bit of a debate going on about whether the DfE really was trying to wrestle more control from schools or whether, and I, I think I lean towards the latter, whether it was just a poorly drafted bill and that they didn't really have a firm idea of exactly how they wanted to do this. So they've almost drafted a piece of legislation that leaves all options open. But politicians and head teachers have pointed out, well, this leaves the government open to have power to direct schools to do. I mean, it's, it's, I would describe it as all encompassing. So, um, so yeah, so it's quite a really, it was a really, really unusual thing. They've literally withdrawn a huge chunk of the bill. So not just around the academy standards, but also around... Um, how they might intervene if they deem that a trust was failing to meet any of these standards. Um, yeah, and that, that's really, really unusual. I mean, obviously, bills get sort of drafted and amended as they go through the parliamentary process. But this is, yeah, I've never seen anything quite like this. However, I think it's probably important to say as well, and probably the crucial thing is, it's not really a U-turn as such, because the government isn't abandoning any of its overall plan, which is to create new standards for academies, for academy trusts, rather, um, and to have powers to regulate and intervene where it sees that they're failing, it's still going to do that. It's just that it's having to go back to the drawing board to kind of um, work up the, pro the proposals more in a more detailed way, I think, before it can get it through Parliament. 
Yeah, I was going to say, it does feel like it's quite a quick shift. It couldn't really have been that long ago that the government were really pushing for, for these changes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the white paper came out in March. The schools bill followed, I think, about six weeks ago. Um, yeah, so it's quite a... And I think they were trying to get it through Parliament so they're on a kind of a tight, tight timescale politically. But yeah, it's really unusual for, for them to have to basically withdraw. I think it's like 18 clauses of the bill. And it's, and it's really a significant, the meat of the bill, if you like, the, the two key things about creating new standards and creating new powers of intervention and how they'll, they'll terminate funding agreements and that sort of thing. All of, all of the kind of substance of the bill is going, but it's not going permanently. They're going to come back with a, a refined version of it. I think what academy leaders will hope to see is that it will be scaled back and perhaps better defined, so so that the sector has a better idea of what it is that the department is going to um, going to ask of it. Of course, underlining a lot of this is the government's plan to have all schools in academy trust by 2030. And something they are pushing ahead with is plans to create new powers for the Secretary of State to issue academy orders to schools that are rated less than good in two consecutive offset inspections, right? Yeah, absolutely. This is, a, as you say, it's a they both kind of fall within the government's overall vision that every, every school is based in a multi-academy trust or on its way to that by the end of the decade. Um, this, they announced um, that they're going ahead with this yesterday. It kind of, I think it flew under the radar a little bit with the kind of the, um, the headline-grabbing nature of kind of withdrawing big chunks of the schools bill. But I think this is really, really significant stuff. So it, um, as you say, any school that um, has been rated less than good twice in a row um, this slight caveat that the most recent inspection needs to have been um, um, after May 2021. So it's not going to be retrospectively sort of um, thrown back to anyone beyond that. Um, but it still opens up close to a thousand schools that will that fall into this scope. Um, yeah, the, the government will have the power from this September to apply academy, academy orders. Um, and effectively, if it's a maintained school, they could, they could academize it, move it into a multi-academy trust. If it's a single academy trust, they could deem that the, the organisation isn't capable of improving and move it into a multi-academy trust. And it seems very much like a new lever to try and get more schools into mats. But I think it's, um, it's, there's two kind of elements of it that are controversial. One is that Ofsted themselves in the consultation voiced concern about it. So they, they pointed out that you could have a school that was maybe requires improvement twice in a row, but, or maybe um, inadequate first time around requires improvement second time. But it could be very much on a trajectory of improvement, the leadership could be in place, Ofsted could deem that they're doing everything that they should be doing, and yet the DFE could now come in and say, no, you've had two less than good Ofsteds, therefore we think you should academise. And Ofsted have said that that could be, that, that could be potentially not helpful and, and damaging in those circumstances. And Ofsted also raised the concern that schools that have got a requires improvement now might be like desperately looking for quick fixes to make sure that the next one is a good rather than thinking, well, we've got a long-term strategy in place that we believe in, uh, that it could effectively lead to bad or kind of short-term decision-making. And then just very quickly, the other bit that I think might prove really controversial is um, if a school's been turned into an academy, so if you have a scenario where a school had a requires improvement, is turned into an academy and gets another requires improvement under new leadership, the DfE will take both of those, they will count. So I think some people thought, once the schools had a change of status and, and potentially new management come in, they shouldn't be judged by their predecessor school's score. But this power will do that. So you could have a situation where a trust takes on a school that was in difficulty, 
gets offsteaded quickly after that, gets a requires improvement, and that will be two two consecutive less than goods, and the DFE will intervene. Now, the enormous caveat that I should say is that the DFE have said this won't be automatic, um, and that every case will be done on on a kind of case by case basis. But I think it has the potential to massively up the pressure on schools in terms of any school that has one RI judgment is now one bad offset away from having a change of management. Um, it seems to me, and you know that, that might that might not be how it works in practice, but that this power creates that potential, and I think that's um, that might prove to be like enormously problematic for for leaders. Mm. Yeah, I can I can see it also being problematic, of course, for for Ofsted, and of course, you know their judgments are are always going to be balanced the same. But if that's a consideration there when they're thinking about, you know, if is this school going to be less than good for the second time in a row? I can see why they might have some objections to this. Yeah, it's a really, it's a really interesting point. Yeah, because ultimately this is a consequence that won't be of Ofsted's making, but is nevertheless a kind of a real life consequence. So it changes the nature of their decision because effectively they are, you know, as you say, they would find, I'm sure they would always say that they would see as they find. I think it's something that they, they always sort of go to whenever they're criticised about, about, about judgment outcomes and no matter the nature of the criticism. But it's true that it completely changes the nature of the outcome because at the moment, an inadequate, um, I think there's almost a kind of a universal acceptance that an inadequate offset report is a kind of a, a public declaration that things need to change. Do you know what I mean? It's, it, well, while some people, I mean, a lot of people will disagree with academy orders in that circumstance, it at least, um, it kind of follows that effectively this school is inadequate, changes needed to improve it, and then the government then goes to academies as its as its preferred route of school improvement. And this now extends that to like requires improvement. And you, you the, I think it does change the nature of Austin inspections or has the potential to. Um, I guess the, the, it will depend on the way that the, the policy is actually implemented and how, um, I think the DfE have said that they're going to focus this initially in 55 education investment areas, which is areas of the country that they've kind of identified as targeting for school improvement because they have lower outcomes sort of by authority area. But yeah, I think it's um, it's another example of the government looking for levers um, to to kind of move towards an academized system. But it, it was really striking to me that Ofsted themselves were one of the organisations that were kind of standing a note of caution about how this will work and the impact it could have. Mm. Yeah, there's there's a lot to keep an eye on here, and of course we're going to have continued coverage of these stories and many more on our website tes.com forward slash magazine. Uh, thanks for joining me again today, John. Great, sir. thanks, Joshua. It's been a quiet two years on the recruitment front, and now many schools are bracing themselves for their biggest ever intake of new staff. But how do you ensure that you integrate so many new starters as smoothly as possible and keep existing staff happy too? Senior editor Gronya Hallahan joins me today to answer that question. Gronya, welcome back to the podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. Pleasure as always. So uh, first then, why is there going to be this massive intake of new staff this year? Is it just that, you know, after we've had like two years of uncertainty where staff may have stayed in a role due to the security that it could bring and they're now choosing to move on, whereas they might not have done it earlier under normal circumstances? Yeah, a lot of people didn't like the recruitment process that was that was taking place over the pandemic. The idea of doing Zoom interviews and all of that kind of stuff was possibly a bit off-putting. Also, there's just a lot going on. I <laughs> think most people weren't yeah. thinking about about a job move, especially if you've just started in a new school. You weren't, you know, you haven't even 
been in the, the building yet to get used to it, to think about going anywhere else. So we definitely saw a huge slowing down of um, teacher movement over the pandemic. And now, now everybody's moving about again. And I think some of this is, you know, that we, we know there's a lot of relocation, people wanting to move and change houses, things that, that over lockdown might have made you reevaluate where you want to live and what you want from your life. And we know that a lot of teachers are seeking part-time positions now and, you know, wanting something different. And all of these different things have come together to mean everyone's job hunting and job adverts are coming up. Yeah. So what is that recruitment picture looking like this year then? I think I think I saw an example in your article that there was going to be four new starters in a department of 10. Is that kind of thing indicative of, of the wider picture? Yeah. So there's, I mean, some schools and different types of schools will be experiencing this in different ways. So primary schools tend to have less movement anyway, because they have one teacher per class. There's not as many members of staff as you get in secondary school. So it's a bit different there. But um, generally, yes, there's lots of lots of vacancies. And I think when I first started writing this piece, there was an awful lot of optimism that these roles were going to be filled. And now I think that's as we've gone past the deadline for the um, the summer term cutoffs gone now. So only people who are getting jobs now are um, NQTs or people who are returning to teaching and don't have to give notice anywhere or have already given their notice. So it's a reduced pool of teachers who you can employ from. And so it's looking like September, you might still have vacancies that you need to fill and that you might be inducting temporary members of staff in September, not permanent members of staff. Mm. And I can imagine there's going to be some kind of issues associated with bringing in this many new teachers at once as well, especially in cases like that, where it's 40% of a whole department. So much harder. It's really, really tough. And I think it's, um, it's actually something I can draw on from my own experience. When I started a department, I was one of four NQTs starting and there was um, two other new members of staff as well. So it was a huge, like, train, and we we're only a department, I think, like 16. So that's quite a lot of new people all beginning at once. And you can feel a little bit, a bit lost when you're just mm. one of many. And it's, I don't think it's an easy thing to do well. No, I guess then there's this risk that these kind of like really vital early stages could become a bit impersonal, you know, and when it comes to like inductions and those early months. So what can schools do to, to avoid that? So it's exactly that. Like you need to make people feel like they're personally known, that they're, they're thought of as individuals. They're not just one of many new members of staff that are starting. And it's one thing saying that, but it's another thing doing that. And when you think about the ways that most inductions are run, when you have like large induction meetings or you get all your new starters together, that's if you're just scaling up what you've had there before, like think of it like, a, like when you've got an image in a, in, a, in a document, you're just going to the top right hand corner and just going, yep, just enlarge it. It's not going to work. So, you know, you need to actually get time speaking to each member of staff, making sure that, you know, that that person is getting time with their line manager and their line manager's line manager and their name is known and you're actually talking to them about what they want to bring to the school. And that was one of the things that um, one of the academics that I spoke to spoke about. He described this psychological contract. So, yep, you've got your contract that you sign with your pen <laughs> that you literally sign, but there's yeah. this psychological contract between a member of staff and their, their school and that's, that's all built on like what you think the school thinks of you. And you've got to make sure that member of staff that they think that you think they're a really valued member of the community. And you can only mm. do that really 
by talking to them and getting to know them. There's not a shortcut to it. It's got to be like, you've got to put the time in. Yeah, it's definitely really important to build up that kind of, that kind of connection. I assume then there's also a risk that schools may want to try and rush this process just because there's so many new staff members to get up to speed. Yes, you know, because September is so busy, it's a really hectic time, you're coming back, you're talking about your Key Stage 2 results, your Key Stage 4 results, your Key Stage 5 results, you're doing the all of the training, you've got to get through the new Keeping Children Safe in Education documents, you've got everything that's changed over the summer, and in that big sea, that big mass of everything that's going on, your new starters might just feel like they're an additional thing that is just like, oh yeah, and we've got the new starters. So, yes, I think it's, um, it's going to be tricky to make sure that it's done properly and it's not rushed. Mm. I guess it could be easy to forget about the existing staff and also those that are, that are leaving it, but it is important to pay attention to them too, isn't it? Oh, yes. So this is something that I, I must admit until somebody pointed it out to me, I hadn't even thought about it. But when you've got this many people starting, you've also got to think about your existing team and how they feel about all these new people joining their team and how somebody might feel usurped, you know, and there's, there's, like, if you think about the fact that the new starters might be coming in and they might be taking up posts that people on the existing team applied for and didn't get, you've got that kind of tricky negotiation of making sure the existing team member doesn't feel like, oh, this is like the person that was better than you and we gave them your, your job. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's, that's really yeah. hard. And it's, it's those middle leaders that are going to have to, have to navigate that, that tricky water and I, I often say this, that middle leaders are like the, the unsung heroes in all schools. Like they're, they're the ones just sort of quietly getting, getting on with the day-to-day, really tricky people management side of, um, of school life. And yeah, that's, that's definitely something that I think that in this piece, we make a real point of that it's not just the new people coming in. You've got to think about everybody in that department and what you can do to make sure that you're, you're not forgetting those that are already established members of your team mm, yeah there's there's plenty of great advice in the article so uh yeah if you are one of those schools expecting kind of this huge influx of new recruitment this year do make sure you go and check out that article on our website tes.com forward slash magazine Gronya, it's been a pleasure thank you so much